helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. often have you heard someone say there needs to be a law as if the solution to all of our problems are some words on paper laws do not stop crime they merely identify it and determine its punishment laws are meaningless unless and until they are enforced which is why i brought you three news items that i have today they all involve people ignoring the law while claiming the authority to substitute their own opinion for the law while the American people have seemed to become comfortable with this state of affairs, what we're seeing is the crumbling of not just our justice system, but the republic itself. Hello there, everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study, where we read and study the Constitution. We teach the rising generation to be free. I'm so glad you could join me today. You know, whenever I talk about these topics, um, well, I frequently, I shouldn't say whenever, I frequently get uh, some very interesting feedback uh, often because, um, well, I go after people's sacred cows. I make statements and I provide evidence. And, well, sometimes people are more interested in the, well, the outcome, the person, than they are the actual law. Now, I find this interesting. I, I, I can't remember who, who I heard it from, but I, I remember hearing someone describe, you know, we used to have courts of justice where the goal of the court was to bring justice to do what is what is just having a basis or conforming to fact and reason uh, conforming to the fact to the standard of correctness or being legally correct that's why we call it a justice well we i i don't call it a justice system anymore i call it just a system because the system seems to have abandoned the idea of justice then we had courts of law where the law mattered and regardless of whether the law was just or not, whether or not it was, it was appropriate or not, you followed the law. Today, we just have courts. And we have a, a, just a system built around these that are not interested in, apparently not interested in truth or, or justice or the law. Only what they can get away with or what they find uh, uh, what they find objectionable. Now, we all know that President Trump is currently on trial for having classified documents in his home in Mar-a-Lago. Documents that he had when he was President of the United States, documents that as President, he had the authority at that time to declassify them. And maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but right now he is on trial for for holding these documents. Now, about the same time, remember, and we'll also remember, he had his home raided by the FBI searching for these documents, documents that the National Archives already knew about. They were working with the Secret Service to make sure they were secure, and they were negotiating with, the, with Donald Trump and his people about which ones were and were not classified and which ones should and should not be returned to the National Archives in the middle of the, you had a raid. Meanwhile, not that long after, we had uh, now President Biden found with, uh, um, with classified material. 
material he had not acquired while president of the United States, therefore did not have and did not have the authority to declassify, that was not stored in a secure location, that was not where the National Archives were not working with the Secret Service to make sure they were secure, or negotiating with the uh, Biden administration about the return of these documents. But there was an investigation. They had a special counsel, Robert Hur. Well, if you may have heard, Mr. Hur has released a report. Now, I have not read the entire report. I've not gone through it, but I did find some very interesting highlights. Right? Uh, for example, under Chapter 11, Analysis of the Evidence Classified Afghanistan Documents. Mr. Hur says, there is evidence that after his vice presidency, Mr. Biden willfully retained marked classified documents about Afghanistan and unmarked classified handwritten notes in his notebooks, both of which he stored in unsecure places in his home. There's evidence. Okay, great. There's evidence. And I'm sure he goes into more detail in the rest of, the, uh, of that chapter. Then under chapter 12, analysis of the evidence, classified notebooks, we read, there is evidence that when Mr. Biden left office in 2017, he willfully retained his classified notebooks. That is, he knew he kept classified information in notebooks stored in his house, and he knew he was not allowed to do so. There is also evidence that Mr. Biden willfully disclosed classified information in his notebooks to his ghostwriter by reading it aloud to him. So we have, apparently, Mr. Hur has evidence that Mr. Biden, um, after he left his office of vice president, took classified documents. He retained, he retained I should say, retained possession of classified documents about uh, Afghanistan, that he retained uh, handwritten notebooks that had classified information. That he knew was there, that he knew he shouldn't. That um, these notebooks not only did to keep these information in, in, uh, when he wasn't allowed to, but that he disclosed classified information from his notebooks to his ghostwriter by reading it to them. That sounds pretty damaging, doesn't it? Uh, let's see. Under Chapter Seventeen, deletion of audio recordings by Mark Zwanzer. Uh, by the way, that's Mr. Biden's ghostwriter. We read, at some point after learning of Special Counsel Hur's appointment, Mr. Biden's ghostwriter, Mark Zwanzer, deleted digital audio recordings of his conversations with Mr. Biden during the writing of the book, Promise Me Dad. The recordings had significant evidentiary value. So understand the, cases that's, the case that is apparently being built here. Mr. Biden willfully retained classified material after leaving office, that he willfully shared that with his ghostwriter, and that his ghostwriter destroyed said evidence once a special counsel was, um, was appointed. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a couple of pretty good cases. Again, I haven't looked at the actual... They, he claims there's evidence. I haven't looked at the evidence. I haven't gone through that. But that sounds... If nothing else, that certainly sounds like uh, a grand jury should be shown this evidence to determine um, whether or not to file uh, uh, charges against Mr. Biden and Mr. Zwanzer. Sounds like it should, right? 
Well, according to the report, again, this is special counsel Hur's report, the very same man who said there's evidence that Biden committed crimes and violations of national, uh, compromised national security. We read, at the time of any trial or sentencing, Mr. Biden would be well into his 80s, an age when relatively few people are prosecuted. Okay, let's at, let's look at that. So so he'll be 80 years, he'll be in his 80s, already over 80 years old. He'll be in his 80s. Um, Mr. Trump is in his 80s. And, okay, relatively few people are prosecuted. Well, how many people in their 80s are charged with, 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 with crimes, especially such serious crimes? Let's face it, I, I, I looked up, I went to Statistia.com, and I found that uh, in July 1st of 2022, the uh, population of the United States by age came out to about 13 million over the age of 80. 13 million out of over 333 million, meaning that's roughly 4% of the population. So, yeah, relatively few will be prosecuted because first, they represent a relatively small percentage of the population. Part one. Part two, many of them being elderly are, um, well, let's say they're not in positions of committing serious crimes. Uh, you know, okay, maybe they cheat on their Social Security, but, um, you know, let, let, let's face it, this idea that, okay, you're old so you can get away with it. I mean, this is the ageism defense, right? Oh, you know, he's, he's old. Um, you know, he's going to be in his 80s. We don't tend to prosecute people like that. They said he has no criminal record. He's highly unlikely to be sentenced to prison or assessed a significant fine. Really? So the idea is we're not going to get any big, big penalty out of it, so why bother? You have a sitting president of the United States? who's committed crimes, because again, to willfully withhold this information is a federal crime, but we're not going to prosecute him. I have to wonder, maybe the reason he has no criminal record is because every time he's, he's been accused of doing something criminal, somebody comes up with the reason not to charge him. And it's exactly the opposite of Donald Trump. Again, two contemporaries. These happened at the same time. Men of similar age, holding similar offices at the time of the, of the offense. In fact, again, Donald Trump was president when he left office. He could have declassified those documents, and uh, there would be, therefore no crime. At no time was Mr. Biden, or, or I should say up to the point of, of uh, the time he left the, the, the vice presidency, he did not have the power to declassify these documents. So we're, I mean, the, the, the one man that maybe could have declassified them is being criminally charged while the one man who never had a chance to declassify them, who did not hold these papers secure, and who knowingly shared this information with a, uh, shared national security information, he's not charged. There's accusations that, um, that Trump shared his information, but the only thing I've seen so far is he waved a piece of paper and said, "It's got though this is classified, or I tell you about it." Where's the justice? What's the purpose of laws if we're not going to bother enforcing them? 
and, and as a third reason, he goes, as to the extent of Mr. Biden will likely present himself to the jury, as he did during his interview with our office, as a sympathetic, well-meaning, elderly man with a poor memory. Oh, so he's incompetent, so he gets away with it. Uh, if he is a, a, a sympathetic, well-meaning, elderly man with a poor memory, why does he have his finger on the nuclear launch button? Why does he have access to the nuclear launch codes? Am I supposed to do this or not? I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. This is, um, I'm sorry. Uh, I, this smacks of corruption, Mister Mister Her. Whether it, you, okay, you recommend no charges because you don't think you're going to get the get the outcome. Um, what about the law? He he went on to say. Um, uh, in one of his quotes, he said, uh, they're unlikely to be a deterrent effect. Really? Is it a deterrent effect to say, hey, you got caught um, violating the the uh, Official Records Act, but we're not going to prosecute you. You know, kind of like the FBI did with um, with Hillary Clinton. Sure, you broke the law. Well, you didn't. We claim you didn't really mean to break the law when there's actually evidence that you willfully violated the law. And by the way, that law willfulness is not a requirement of the law. There's no justice. Laws don't matter as long as we hire people like Mr. Her. I'm sorry, Mr. Her. This is a a gross dereliction of duty. It is an abuse of prosecutorial uh, uh, discretion. It is a it is prosecutorial misconduct. The people of the United States have the right to have our laws in force, not simply because the 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 defendant. Well, he's an, he he looks sympathetic, so we're not going to charge him. What now? You know, this this is the same as the uh, saying the the large chested woman gets away with speeding because well. She looks good. I mean, that's the level. That's the level of conduct I, I, I'm seeing from Mister Her. He's a sympathetic old man, and therefore we're not going to charge him. How about you take the sympathetic old man and you prevent him from having access to classified data, so that he can, um, he doesn't get a chance to spread it again. How about members of the House? How many are going to take this report and say? For this reason, we are um, submitting articles of impeachment. See, it's a crime to to uh, uh, take to, to retain classified documents. It's a crime to share that information, in a, which violates classification. These are crimes. High, and again, as president, these are high crimes. I'm waiting. I, I want to see the uh, the house the house resolution. With articles of impeachment for Mr. Biden for violating these records act. Because, and I'd put this right in the, in, in, because according to Mr. Her, who did the report, he is an elderly man with a poor memory. He cannot be trusted with such classified data. Therefore, we need to remove him from president, from the office of president, because he's not able to he's not able to perform his duties to fulfill his oath of office there is no justice in this decision it proves that the justice system is not interested in justice 
that we have a two-tiered justice system. If you are connected with the bureaucracy, you can get away with crimes. If you oppose the bureaucracy, you will be charged with everything, including breathing. I, I, I cannot see a better example of this than the Donald Trump classified documents case set side by side with the, uh, with the Joe Biden classified documents case. This is proof, not simply evidence, this is proof that we have a two-tiered justice system and that unless you are well-connected politically, your chances of getting away, of, of even getting a fair trial is questionable, especially at the federal level. And I'm actually trying to set up a, an interview with a perfect example of how, you know, if you're, if you're in a disfavored group, there's no such thing as justice at the federal level. You, you, can't, you can't trust it. It's likely not to happen. Now, listen, I, I have to take a break. Before I go, though, you know, one of the things a lot of people are concerned about is COVID. The shedding from the vaccinated, long COVID, uh, all, all of this. And uh, people are concerned. Well, there is something that'll work. There's a revolutionary combination of ingredients designed to block and dissolve the, the infamous spike protein, the toxic part of, uh, of COVID-19. That comes from the wellness company. It is backed by documented research. It is vetted by the chief medical board of the wellness company. It's called spike support. You can use it whether you think you've got spike protein or to help prevent you from getting the spike protein. Since you're an America Out Loud listener, you can get 25% off products and off your first month of membership at the wellness company if you use the code OUTLOUD. Get all the details at americaoutloud.shop. But please, check out the wellness company. Look at all their great products. Use that code OUTLOUD at checkout. It lets them know you listen to America Out Loud. And as a thank you, they'll give you 25% off products and off your first month of membership. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Today's high-stress, on-the-go lifestyle makes it hard to stay heart-healthy. Lifestyle changes like exercise and diet are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support three aspects of heart health, cholesterol, blood pressure, and triglycerides, with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients. You would need to take 13 pills to get the same amount of nutrients in each gel pack. And these great-tasting gels come in a small packet. Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Get heart healthy. 
Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD for 25% off. Asiya believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel and be our very best. Our customers will tell you how our products have made a difference for them. From improving immune health, regulating hormone balance, supporting gut health, to soothing the skin, even reducing the appearance of wrinkles, fine lines, and cellulite, and providing targeted support for mind, mood, energy, and even our body's own production of collagen. Make our breakthrough products an essential step in becoming your best self and fulfilling your greatest potential. ASEA, we power potential. For exclusive savings, use code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your first order today. Welcome back, everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution study today. We're talking about time when laws don't matter. Now, I think it was yesterday, maybe the day before, I was talking about uh, a amicus brief in the in the the case of the Colorado Supreme Court taking Trump's name off the primary ballot, and uh, the amicus brief was awful. I mean, it was just truly atrocious, and and you know showed a complete lack of understanding of. Law, jurisdiction, the Constitution. Well, the case has had oral arguments. Again, I haven't gone through all the oral arguments, but just so you know, yes, it's gone through oral arguments. And there were a couple of instances of these arguments that, well, I think it's worth taking a bit of a closer look at. Um, first, we're going to deal with a question uh, from, uh, I think it was from Justice Jackson to. Um, one of the, the, the to Trump's attorney. All right. Final question. Um, the Colorado Supreme Court concluded that the violent attempts of the petitioner supporters uh, in this case to halt the count uh, on January 6 qualified as an insurrection uh, as defined by Section 3. And I read your opening brief to accept uh, that those events counted as an insurrection, um, but then your reply seemed to suggest that they were not. So what, what is your position oh, as to that? We never accepted or conceded in our opening brief that this was an insurrection. What we said in our opening brief was President Trump did not engage in any act that can plausibly be characterized as insurrection. Okay, so we start off with apparently Ms. Jackson misunderstanding something in, in one of the briefs claiming that they accepted that the actions of the crowd were an insurrection when there's no, we never accepted such a thing. What we said was Donald Trump did not participate in anything that could be called an insurrection. But then listen to Ms. Jackson's re reply to that. All right, so because why would this not, not be an insurrection? What is your argument that it's not? Your reply brief says that it wasn't because I think you say um, it did not involve an organized attempt to overthrow right. the government. So That's one of many reasons. But for an insurrection, there needs to be an organized, concerted effort to overthrow the government of the United States through violence. Okay, now I'm not sure where this attorney, uh, what's his name? Um, I want to say uh, Jonathan Mitchell. That's it. I want to say that. I'm not sure where he's getting his definition, but it, it seems to be rational. I mean, when I go to, to the free legal dictionary, it defines an insurrection as a rising of, or rebellion of the citizens against their government, 
usually manifested by acts of violence. So I think his definition is reasonable. But then again, listen to Justice Jackson. And this so the point is that a chaotic effort to overthrow the government is not an insurrection. We didn't concede that it's an effort to overthrow the government either, Justice Jackson. Right. None of these criteria were met. This was a riot. It was not an insurrection. The events were shameful, criminal, violent, all of those things, but it did not qualify as insurrection as that term is used in Section 3. And this to me has been the fundamental problem with all the insurrection talks since basically January 7th, in that it's assumed that seeing what is believed to be corruption in an election and attempting to stop it, it being counted is an attempt to overthrow the government. If you've got a law, say, oh, I don't know, the Constitution, and you see the law being violated, and you're calling for for that violation to not be effective, that's not overturning the government. That's actually supporting the supreme law of the land, which established the government. So um, I I wanted to go through that because it was interesting, because what we're seeing is, uh, at least from Justice Jackson, the assumption that this was an insurrection, but it was not an attempt to overthrow the government. There's no evidence that there was an attempt to overthrow the I'm sure there were people there that maybe would, would have said, throw all the bums out, get rid of them, that individually there might have been people that wanted to overthrow the government. But as an organ, the, the, the chaos organized uh, uh, event, it was not an event attempting to overthrow the government. Uh, let's see. Next, I want to deal with an interchange between Justice Thomas and uh, I believe the, the, the attorney Murray, who is representing Colorado. Uh, do you have uh, contemporaneous examples? Um, and by contemporaneous, I mean uh, shortly after the adoption of the 14th Amendment, where the states uh, disqualified national candidates, not its own candidates, but national candidates. Okay, before I get to Mr. Murray's response, I want to jump in here because there's a fundamental flaw in Justice Thomas's presumption. Um, People only vote in state and local elections. There is no national election in which the people vote. Now, the case that we're dealing with is Colorado dealing with a question of a state primary. Right. This is not a federal election. This is a state primary election. Now, the question is, if the state of Colorado says that Trump is disqualified for office, therefore, it does, it's not right for him to be on the primary ballot, the assumption being, well, then he would also be disqualified from the general election. Let's, let's allow that to be an assumption. The ballot in Colorado is not for a national election. It is a ballot to choose electors from that state. I'm going to pound that. By the way, I'm going to pound that through November because there's a fundamental misunderstanding of how we vote for president. The people, there is no national vote in which the general population votes. The only national election that we have is when the presidential electors appointed by each of the states vote for president. It seems weird. Um, I will be going over the process in more detail as we go along, but there's, that's a fundamental flaw. This election is not different because it is a um, because the candidate happens to be for a national national office. Right? Congress, Senate, presidential electors are all 
these are all state elections, which is why Section 3 of the, th of the 14th Amendment lists senators, members of the House of Representatives, and president and electors for president and vice president. Let's get to Mr. Murray's response. The only example I can think of, Justice Thomas, is the example of Governor uh, of, of uh, Congressman Christie, who was elected in Georgia in, I believe, 1868, and the governor of Georgia refused or, or declined to certify the results of that election because Mr. Christie was disqualified. But I think it's, it's not surprising that there are few examples because we didn't have ballots in the same way back then. Candidates were either write-in or, or they were party ballots. So the states didn't run the ballots in the same way. And there wouldn't have been a process for determining before an election whether a candidate was qualified, unlike the processes that we have now that states have created under their Article I and Article II powers to run elections. Okay, so that's an interesting point, right? Before the early 20th century, um, we don't we didn't have the the, the ballots that we have today, the pre-printed ballots. You were handed a slip of paper when you walked in, um, around the you know middle middle 18th middle 19th century, middle 1800s. You were handed a blank piece of paper. You wrote in the person's name. You stuffed it in the ballot box. Political parties had started. Um, actually, newspapers uh, first. They had started. Um, printing blank ballots, right, where they listed the offices, but the names were blanks, so you could fill them in. And pretty quickly thereafter, uh, political parties started issuing tickets, uh, a, a flyer you, you would receive that had the ballot with the position and the name already filled in. That's what Mr. Uh, um, Mr. Mason's, uh, I believe, talking about. But I thought it was an interesting response. Um, let's see what uh, Justice Thomas thought of it. But it would seem that, particularly uh, uh, after Reconstruction uh, and after the Compromise of 1877 and during the period of Redeemers, that you would have that kind of conflict. There were a plethora of Confederates still around. There were any number of people who would continue to either run for state offices or national offices. So it seemed it, it, that would suggest that there would at least be a few examples of uh, national uh, candidates being uh, disqualified, if your reading is correct. So again, interesting. Um, the assumption being, listen, there were a lot of Confederates. So you would expect to see these. You would expect to see challenges to people's qualification. Do you have examples of that? That's what he's asking. And uh, but he's still holding on to this idea that somehow this is a uh, these are national candidates, but these are not national elections. Well, there were certainly national candidates who were disqualified by Congress refusing to seat them. I understand that, but that's not this case. I'm Did states disqualify them? That's what we're talking about here. I understand Congress would not seat them. Other than the example I gave, no. But again, Your Honor, that, that's not surprising because there wouldn't have been states. Certainly, wouldn't have the authority to remove a city. So, what's the purpose officer? of the? What was the purpose of the uh, of Section Three? Okay, so uh, again, Justice Thomas is questioning the authority of a state to disqualify a uh, uh, a candidate for a national office, um, and I think he's using a couple words incorrectly. But what's interesting, we're not going to get into the question of what is the purpose of uh, Section Three of the Fourteenth Amendment. So, what's the purpose of the? What was the purpose of the uh, of Section Three? 
uh, the states were sending people, uh, the, the concern was that the former Confederate states would continue being bad actors. And the effort was to prevent them from doing this. And you're saying that, well, this also authorized states to disqualify candidates. So what I'm asking you for, if you are right, what are the examples? Okay, before Mr. Murray takes a stab at it, let me take a shot at it. The Tenth Amendment says the power is not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. Okay, so it's not a question of do the states need to be set, told, yes, you can do that. That is an erroneous reading of the Tenth Amendment. It basically ignores the actual language of the Tenth Amendment and substitutes something else. The other thing to look at is, okay, uh, we're dealing with the uh, section of the 14th Amendment, which deals with qualifications for office. In this case, specifically the office of president. And under Article 2, Section 1, we read, Each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in Congress. It is the state legislature that determines the manner of appointing electors. And if you're going to have the power to determine how electors are appointed, then you also have to say, okay, we get to choose who they, you know, who they can vote for is what we're basically saying. And this also is a relatively modern twist because originally you voted for a neighbor that would choose the president for you. Right? So first of all, the legislature would just pick, you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry. Here are our electors. You go vote. They eventually said, okay, we will let the people advise us by voting for these electors, and these electors will promise to vote for a certain candidate. But we're also dealing, so you see, we're dealing with some confusion because people don't understand how we elect the president. So now that I've done that, let's see what, how Mr. Murray responded. Well, Your Honor, the examples are states excluded many candidates for state office, individuals holding state offices. We have a number of published cases of states. I understand that. that. I, I understand the states controlling state uh, elections and state positions. What we are talking about here are national candidates. And again, Mr. Thomas is ignoring the language of the 14th Amendment. It clearly states, no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector for president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive judicial of any state to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection and rebellion. The 14th Amendment makes no distinction between a national office or a state office, and, by the way, there is no such thing as a national election. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm rather frustrated with Justice Thomas here, because now maybe he's playing devil's advocate, but his the position he's holding is that somehow the election for a national office is different than for a state office, when the Constitution says absolutely no such thing. There's only, it, it's still a state election, even though it's for a national office. They went back and forth a little bit, but I want to give you Mr. Murray's, um, I guess the way he closed out his, this particular discussion. 
the, the idea of the 14th Amendment was that both states and the federal government would ensure rights, and that if states failed to do so, the federal government certainly would also step in. So what Mr. Murray is talking about is, is a situation of dual sovereignty, right, where the states had, had a power and the federal government had a power to say, this person's not qualified. You're not qualified to run for this office in our state. And you're not qualified, even though it's a national office, you're not qualified. And if that didn't hold, he was actually talking about protecting rights, but that's how you would fit it to, to Section 3. But let's listen to his explanation why uh, he, he can't show Mr. Thomas the examples he's looking for. But I think the reason why there aren't examples of states doing this is an idiosyncratic one of the fact that elections worked differently back then. States have a background power under Article 2 and the 10th Amendment to run presidential elections. They didn't use that power to police ballot access until about the 1890s. And by the 1890s, everyone had received amnesty and these issues had become moots. OK, first, the states don't have a background power. Uh, they specifically have the power to... Um, run elections for Congress, and there's nothing in the Constitution about states having elections for president. By the way, the states do not elect the president. The state, uh, quote, the state elections are for electors for president. So there's a lot of mishmash because, again, we don't understand because the law doesn't matter anymore. Even though the Constitution's quite clear, we don't treat the law like it matters anymore. No, I ran a little long there, so I've got to jump out to a break real quick. Before I go, though, please stop by AmericaOutloud.news every day for news and information. Take the stories, the articles, the videos, the podcasts, whatever you find that's interesting, whatever you find that's informative, and share it. See, knowledge is not power until it's put into action. You put the knowledge you gain from AmericaOutloud.news into action when you share it. And that is how, ladies and gentlemen, we secure the blessings of liberty. Well, the year 2024 must be the year of the Patriot, and AmericaOutloud.news will equip you with all the information you need to give new meaning to the words Patriot Act, for our actions always ultimately define our words. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio, Liberty and justice for all. Clean, pure, with premium ingredients, Global Healing's Pure Plant Protein offers 20 grams of protein per scoop, and it's a perfect way to maintain and build lean muscle while indulging yourself. It combines enzymes and probiotics to maximize nutrient absorption, improving digestion, and your gut health. Available in vanilla and chocolate flavors, elevate your protein consumption while supporting your overall wellness with pure plant protein. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. You've all heard Dr. McCullough and others share over and over the value of keeping your sinuses cleansed. It's a smart move all year, but even more so when we're cooped up inside. It's not really open for debate any longer. Those that live smart and live well pay attention to nasal and oral hygiene. 
Cofix RX has just the tools for the job with our nasal and throat cleanse. Click the Cofix RX banner on americaoutloud.shop to get 20% off your entire order. That's right, americaoutloud.shop. Use coupon code OUTLOUD. That's coupon code OUTLOUD for 20% off your entire order. Use Cofix RX because it works. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution study today. We're talking about, uh, well, when laws don't matter. I, we looked at a couple of federal issues. I want to take a look at a state issue right now. The state, Hawaii. And um, I have, well, well, let me put it this way. When it comes to the Supreme Court of Hawaii, it appears their opinion is... I reject your reality and substitute my own. Because that's exactly what they've done. Now, it, within the state of Hawaii, there's a gentleman by the name of Christopher Wilson. And back in December, he was charged with uh, uh, felonies for three gun laws in Hawaii. Um, two, uh, let's see, two of them involved restricting the possession of firearms and ammunition to the owner's residence. A third authorized the chief of police, the chief of police in each county to issue licenses for carrying firearms. Now, he challenged those laws, saying, claiming that uh, uh, pr prosecuting him for possessing a firearm for self-defense purposes outside of his home violated the Second Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and Article 1, Section 17 of the Hawaii Constitution, which reads, A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. In other words, the exact same language as, as the Second Amendment of the Constitution of the United States. Now, this is where things get a little, I think, a lot weird. So reading from the opinion, we, uh, the Supreme Court said, we reject Wilson's constitutional challenge. Conventional interpretive modalities and Hawaii's historical tradition of firearm regulations rule out an individual right to keep and bear arms under the Hawaii Constitution. In Hawaii, there is no state constitutional right to carry a firearm in public. I reject your reality and substitute my own. That's what they're saying. Let's start with uh, with what they said. So he says there in the in the Hawaii Constitution, there is no constitutional right to carry a firearm. I just read it to you, ladies and gentlemen. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. But you see, the the Constitution, or I should the the Supreme Court of um of Hawaii just ignores their own constitution. But they go on. Later on, they said, uh, talking about the, the Bruin case out of the Supreme Court, it says, Bruin snubs federalism's principles. Still, the United States Supreme Court does not strip states of all sovereignty to pass traditional police power laws designed to protect people. Um, okay, now you just, this, ladies and gentlemen, this is an insurrection. This is, okay, it's not violent. It's not, I'll agree, it's not violent. Uh, this is a coup. Because the Constitution clearly states in uh, was it Article Six, uh, Clause Two, that this Constitution and the laws of the United States which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States, shall be the supreme law of the land, and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby. Anything in the Constitution or laws of any state to the contrary, notwithstanding. See, federalism doesn't mean the states can do whatever they want. 
The states are bound by the Constitution. They've bound themselves to the Constitution. And this judge took an oath to support the Constitution of both Hawaii and the United States, something that these judges have failed miserably. So I ask you, what good is law if we follow these people? Again, people just make crap up on their own. They said, the court said, we conclude that the authors and ratifiers of the Hawaii Constitution imagined a collective right. Our understanding aligns with that, with what the Second Amendment meant in the 1950, in 1950, when Hawaii copied the federal constitution's language. Idiot, can you read? I, I tell you, if there are people that need a basic reading comprehension test, it is judges. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is a violation of Mr. Wilson's rights under the Second Amendment of the Constitution of the United States and under Article 1, Section 17 of the Constitution of, of Hawaii. So don't tell me we need another stupid law when people like this are allowed to not only piss all over the law, but get away with it. This infuriates me for multiple reasons. There is no, there is no longer law in Hawaii because if the Supreme Court of Hawaii can simply make stuff up and say, well, this is what we conclude, that Hawaii is not a free state. Because the people of Hawaii, when they ratified their constitution in 1950, said, we like this idea of the Second Amendment so much, we're going to copy it verbatim for our constitution. We're going to say the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. The people said this. The people of Hawaii said this. And the Supreme Court of Hawaii basically just gave them a slap in the face. You're too stupid to know what you mean. You're too stupid to know what you meant. We know better. We have to take our understanding and allow police powers to overrule your rights. That is not a free state. That is a police state. That's what Hawaii is now. The Hawaii is a police state. Hawaii is in violation of the compact of the Constitution. They are um, effectively detaching themselves from the Union. Not completely. They're saying, no, no, no. We're just not going to pay any attention to the Constitution that we agreed to. We're not even going to bother paying attention to our own Constitution. Now, listen, I don't know what the processes are for impeachment. In, uh, in Hawaii. Here's what I do know. These justices have committed a federal crime because they have deprived Mr. Wilson of a right protected by the Constitution of the United States. That's a federal crime, ladies and gentlemen. And since it's a group of them, it's conspiracy to do so. Hawaii law does not supersede the Constitution. You can quote it as long as you like. It does not. Now, what's interesting is when I post this, this on my news feed, I've already started getting responses from it, and uh, uh, a, a lot of misconceptions. There, there are a lot of misconceptions. See, most people focus on the fact that this was a snub of Bruin. The Supreme, there was a snubbing the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said 
the states aren't required to follow the opinions of a court. The Bruin opinion is just that. It's an opinion. It is not a rule. It is not a law. It is not supreme. It's an opinion. This, ladies and gentlemen, is a violation of the constitutions of Hawaii and the United States. And people of Hawaii, if you let this stand, then you are an accessory after the fact to the stripping of your rights. You are an accessory to the destruction of the rule of law. And when people come back and start whining, but we can't because the Supreme Court said so, you established that precedent. You sat back and let them rob you blind of one of your rights. So when they come back and say, you got to stick something in your arm or you're not allowed out in public. Or you're not allowed to buy that car because it uses nasty fossil fuels. Or you can't put that appliance in your home because we don't like what it uses. Or anything else, you have, you have turned over, you have become a slave of your government, including your Supreme Court. So before you come whining and crying about the state of Hawaii, do something. Do something. Again, find out. If you live in Hawaii, what's the process of impeaching your Supreme Court? Because you should, there should be, whatever the process, article of impeachment, I know it's done by the House, but um, uh, the rules about what in, uh, you, you can be impeached for are established by Hawaii law, and I don't know what those are. But they violated their oath of office. They've committed a federal crime. And what are you going to do about it? Oh, well, there's the Supreme Court, there's nothing we can do. Then you're a slave. And you've elected to be a slave. You've decided to be a slave. And I know you don't want to hear that. And by the way, Hawaii, you're not the only places. All 50 states have done this type of nonsense. People keep telling me, well, you can't do anything about it. Yes, you can. Just say no. Go to your county sheriff. If your county sheriff doesn't look at this and saying, wait a second, that's a violation of the Constitution, then get yourself a better sheriff. If you show up and you hand him this opinion and a copy of Article 117 of your state constitution and the, the second of the United States Constitution, and they don't say, well, that's stupid, that's, that violates the Constitution. The Constitution is the supreme law of the land. The Hawaii Constitution is the supreme law of Hawaii under the, supreme, the United States Constitution, which is the supreme court, uh, law of the entire country. If they do not say that, get a better sheriff. If you're not on the phone in the office of your state representative demanding they file articles of, of impeachment and helping them to do so, you're complicit. Doing nothing is not nothing. It's deciding to comply with the tyranny. And until we stop complying with the tyranny, we are going to get more tyranny. Here's another state, by the way, they're going to do something. They've done something. I talked before about uh, uh, a bill that Tennessee work, was working on uh, about uh, rejecting uh, unconstitutional federal acts. Well, um, Salt Lake City uh, has signed into law, I'm sorry, for the state of Utah, a process to end the enforcement of, federal, of certain federal acts. Under SB 57, 
the Utah legislature has the authority to pass a concurrent resolution prohibiting a state or local government officer from enforcing or insisting in the enforcement of a federal directive within the state if the legislature determines, determines the federal directive violates the principles of state sovereignty. Now, I would have liked to put it another way, but that ain't bad. Because what is state sovereignty? It's the Tenth Amendment. The powers not delegated to the United States nor prohibited to the states are retained by, are reserved to the states. So SB 57 defines federal directives as a statute passed by the United States Congress, an executive order by the President of the United States, or a rule or regulation adopted by a federal agency. Now, here's the question. They've said they're going to stop the enforcement of, uh, of uh, federal acts that violate the state sovereignty. Are they going to do it? It's one thing to say you're going to stand up. It's another thing to actually stand up and do it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is an important distinction. So if you live in Utah, do me a favor. Be in touch with your state legislator, your representative, your state senator. Make sure they're aware of unconstitutional federal acts under the law. Make sure they actually pick these up and actually vote on them. Don't simply sit back going, okay, they've passed a law and all of a sudden. We still need, we need to take that knowledge and turn it into action. So find something. Find something from the EPA or something else. Take it to the legislature and say, here you go. Here's a, a federal act that's unconstitutional. Where's a concurrent resolution? Now, one of the things we do here at the Constitution Study, we're all about helping people defend and assert their rights. That's one of our focus goals. Do me a favor, though. Please check out the Patriots program. This is what I designed the Patriots program for. It's, it's to help people prepare for these things. It, there's, there's a free boot camp. You'll learn some things when you go to the boot camp. You get some tools that you can use. But if you join us at the Patriots, we're working on um, educating people. They can look at this and say, hey, how do we uh, actually defend our rights in this situation? Can we build the argument? I'd be happy to work with a patriot out there that's ready to start working both in Hawaii and in Utah, in fact, anywhere in the country. The, the committees of correspondence to make sure that we know what's going on in these different areas. And most importantly, the Minutemen. The men and women prepared to stand up and say, we'll help. What can we do? Can we help? help you draft that concurrent resolution. So all you have to do is hand it to your, your representative and say, here, file this. Go to Hawaii. Say, hey, let's figure out what, under what, how we can file articles of impeachment against the Supreme Court. How about a, a, um, a bill out of the legislature that said the Supreme Court is stupid and that the, the, uh, the, the language of the Constitution of Hawaii and of the United States supersedes the opinion of a bunch of judges. We recognize that, therefore, this opinion is invalid. It is void. It is empty. It is meaningless as an unconstitutional act. How do you put those together? That's what we do at the, at the Patriots. That's what we're trying to do is help people know their rights, defend their rights, put these things together. So please, go to constitutionstudy.com. Click on the Patriots button and find out more about the Patriots. Hey, Take the boot camp. Again, it is free, and you'll get some tools out of it that you can use to defend your rights.
that if you like what you see, if you, you are willing to engage, well, take a look at the, and think about signing up for the Patriots program. Remember, as uh, Edmund Burke is alleged to have said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. So as long as we do nothing in defense of our rights and our liberty, we are consenting to the evil that is done in our name. Now, if this is the stuff you like to hear, please let me know. And join us here for the Constitution Study, heard every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard on the iHeartRadio Network. If you can't listen, then that's okay. All my episodes go to podcasts, and you can listen in your favorite podcast app. But do me a favor, subscribe to the show. Leave the episode's ratings and reviews, especially on Apple. It helps other people find the Constitution Study. It helps share the news of what's going on. It helps um, the, the, the information we need to protect our, uh, and defend our rights be spread far and wide. And you can find all the links you need right there at the homepage at americaoutloud.news. But as I said before, and I'll say it again, knowledge is not power until it is put into action. All it takes for evil to flourish is for good men to do nothing. This is your chance, ladies and gentlemen, to do something. Find those links, find the episodes, find the podcast, find whatever information you need that speaks to our issues today and share them. Share them with friends, share them with family, share them on social media. I don't care how big your following it is. I don't care how many people you touch. It is not the act, it is not the people who receive the message that makes a difference. It's the change in your heart when you do something. When you share this information, it changes you. And as you do so, you help us all to share in the blessings of liberty. <laughs> 